Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome back to the things we say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And we are just the two of us in the studio today. So yeah. here we go. Back back to where it all began. <laughs> the reason you guys are here, right here. <laughs> the in front first of time your eyes. you just get the two of us by ourselves before like in 2022. Yeah, this will be the first time. Is that serious? Yeah, we haven't posted very much this year. Yeah. It's been a weird year. It's okay. It's been a weird year. We have reasons. It feels like 2022 has been a lot longer than it's actually been. <laughs> it's okay. It's a good year. I'm done saying that years are bad. I agree. Yep. Yeah. I don't like people being down on 2020 because there were some good things that happened. Yeah. Uh, largely, the very same people that I blame for most everything screwed up even more royally during <laughs> that year. 2021, and uh, the same way, people were like, oh, man, 2021 is worse than 2020. Yeah, I was, I've, I've not been surprised by the way that people have screwed things up because they told us they were going to do it, and then they did it. If you're surprised, you weren't paying attention. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so none of those things have to do with the reasons that we haven't been posting a lot, but we are excited to be back. Yes. Um, did you know that very recently there are the last of three people is soon getting out of jail that mastermind a kidnapping of 27 kids from a school bus, buried them alive, and held them for ransom. Each of them were given 27 life sentences. Each of the plotters, the kidnappers, yeah. were given 27 life sentences without the possibility of parole. 46 years later, the last one is about to walk. In California. Implying that the others have walked. The other two already have. Um, so, fuller story, uh, Fred Woods and two accomplices kidnapped dozens of California children from a school bus in 1976 and trapped them underground. Basically, they took them off the bus and they put them in a, like, utility truck type thing. Yeah. And along with the bus driver, and I don't know if there was a teacher on there or not. I think it was just the kids and a bus driver. And they buried this thing in like a quarry a hundred miles away and were demanding ransom of like $5 million or something. Yeah. And they got the idea. Somebody was, somebody had that told that I heard this from, like they got the idea from a diehard or, but that doesn't make sense because Die Hard would have been after 76, yeah, the, right? Yeah, the 80s, yeah. Where did, where did that come from? Maybe that's Either just way. total hoax. That, I mean, it sounds like something that would have been from a movie, yeah. though. With only some construction lights illuminating the quarry, the kidnappers ordered their 27 victims into what looked like a massive grave, a white moving van buried six feet underground. One by one, they went down into the van. For 16 hours, the children waited for rescue or death. 
And then they ended up um, digging their way out while the kid, kidnappers slept. And they all got away. Uh, it's called the... Why am I not getting this? The Cal Calchilla? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Chow Chilla. Yep. There you go. Oh, whoops, sorry. Nate's playing something about Jim Carrey. It was there unintentional. Yes. Yep. Uh, Dairyland Elementary School in Chowchilla. That's that's how you say it. Anyway, this was this was like 46 years ago. The guy that's getting out, um, James Schoenfeld, Fred Woods, and Richard Schoenfeld. Uh, were initially sentenced up to 27 concurrent life sentences without the possibility of parole. But in 1980, an appeals panel overturned their original sentences, saying the men had caused no serious bodily injury and therefore should have the chance for parole because no one died or got hurt. They all made it out alive. What year was that that they decided that? In 1980. So Richard Schoenfeld, the possibility of parole, but by the time they... It all worked its way through the system. Richard Schoenfeld was finally paroled in 2012. James Schoenfeld was released in 2015. And on March 25th, two parole commissioners recommended parole for Woods, the final one. The panel's decision is still subject to review by the board parole hearings chief counsel, who would refer the case for a vote to the full board. And... If neither happens within four months, the decision becomes final and the governor gets 30 days to review it. I think something similar had happened to the Manson murders. And, of course, no governor is going to let any of the Manson killers out. Right. So they just would, the governors would basically uh, make sure they don't get paroled. But Man. it seems like this guy's going to sail right through. The other two are I'm going to tell you, I'm looking at the mug shots from these guys, and it looks like the gene pool was very tight. Yeah. On these fellas. Frederick Newhall Woods has been behind bars since he was 24, now 70. He missed most life opportunities and lost both of his parents while he's in prison. <laughs> I'm just like, how? Like I would have like thought when you get 27 concurrent life sentences without yeah. the possibility to parole, that jury, that judge, everybody was like, these guys are going to die in prison. Yeah, that's... But it is California, too. I mean, they're just... But you buried children alive, and the yeah. only reason they're alive is because they dug their they way out. They figured it out, yeah. And you buried them alive in such a way that they were not going to survive because you didn't, take enough, you didn't take enough into account of what you needed to do. No. Like, these were not smart people. No. Yeah, I, that just horrifies and angers me. Yeah, and it's like, this is happening... Right now. Like yeah. The last one of those guys is getting out soon. But the, the other weird thing is that one of these guys, for some reason, has been walking around for 10 years. Yeah, already. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm horrified by that. <sighs> it's just weird. Okay. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to start us off, Sheldon. There but you go. But I never heard of this. No, That's I never, I I never heard of it podcast either. Because I'm like... How did how did this story? It seems like it's been around in yeah. the last ten years. Somebody should have been talking about that these guys are walking. I'm sure they did, but yeah, I never, I had never heard of any of this. I had never heard of it either. I'm like, this is the wildest story, and apparently it got printed internationally. Like people were all yeah, caught up in it's it a because big deal. you just kidnapped 27 kids off a school bus. First and of all, that's them. a really 
full school bus. Yes. Like Especially for that era. <laughs> yeah. That's strange, man. I, I don't know how you don't hear about that other than. And no, one of the kids, I mean, she's, what, in her 50s or 60s now, and she's going to all of these hearings and just sitting there and watching them, like, basically. Yes, that's, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to think about that. I don't know if I want to. So, no, yeah. no, for sure. Yeah, I'm moving on. All right, let's move on <laughs> now that I've weirded everyone. Out. Yes, thank the, you. The title on this podcast is probably something about tithing. Yes, so this, probably. This all feels really weird to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we warned you. It may sometimes be profound, it's and sometimes, sometimes it's going to be stupid. stupid. Yes, so maybe t- at times a little creepy. Yeah, maybe we need to add creepy into the to the opening. <laughs> yeah, crawl but we, there. we we actually do want some listeners. That's right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. We're not trying too hard, but we got to at least try a little. Man. All right. So. <laughs> So why, got, are, why are we here, Sheldon? The That's reason, not why we're here. The why reason we here? that we're here <laughs> is I, I, okay, so I've run into this a few times, and full disclosure, right off the top, I just recently came on church staff. So within the last year is the first time I ever got a dime from the church. Yes. Um, but I've spent the first, what would that be, 37 years of my life as just a church member all my life. Right. Okay grew up well i i grew up on the mission field so right yeah whatever that's that's all supported by donation and maybe right. or maybe not tithe depending how you feel about it right nate however is, is his, <laughs> your background's a little different yeah than that, i mean i you know my dad reminded me of this often as a kid and i i think of it now as every article of clothing i've ever worn every piece of food i've ever put in my mouth every uh, shelter that I have ever lived in, every vehicle that I have ever owned is provided by the faithfulness of the church. I have been, right. and that goes back generationally for, for me. My, my grandfather was a pastor. My dad is a pastor. I am now a pastor. Uh, yes, my wife works, but my grandmother and my mother did not. This, the church and the support of the church has been my sole um, provision my right. entire life. Right. And to that, some people would be like, well, you know, you guys stand to gain something from it. What I would, uh, you know, from our views on the tithe as we get into them, like yeah. how we understand it, what it means in our lives and all of that. Just wanted to get those biases out of the way up front. Yeah. Um, I am for sure, like, still putting in way more than what the church is giving yep. me out. So, yeah. like, I'm, I'm doing this. I, I would say I still haven't monetarily benefited all that much yeah. from saying like, oh yeah, people got to pay the tithe and I'm just sitting back here with my Rolex and my, right. my car that right. I got from the church or whatever, anything yeah. like that. Right. You know, and the preachers and sneakers thing doesn't apply to me and neither does <laughs> it apply to some of the people on their account. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you see these things when you're, when, when you're in church ministry from people that say, you know, oh, I don't need to pay the tithe. That's just not anything that I do. Or even the way they talk about it, like yeah. I pay the tithe. Right. Uh, or I don't pay the tithe. Or I think that's ridiculous. Or I don't know. There's there's a broad spectrum. Some people think that they're too smart, too sophisticated. Like their, their reading of the Bible is 
deep enough that there's a lot more nuance here than what people are letting on and right. people that think about a tither just having a basic understanding of things. Right. And then there's people that the money has a hold on them. Yes. And and that can like, be either through po- poverty mentality or through uh, just plain ugly greed. Or like this money means something yeah. about me. Right. You know, and so like... Improper value. I'm... And also, it's it's for some people, it's about control. Yeah. So, if you came up from humble circumstances and now you have something, a lot of times what you have will be really tightly controlled yep. because you fear having nothing more than anything. Right. Like that's that's the big. It it becomes fear based. Right. Um. And there's the. I'm not limiting the reasons that people don't give a tithe to just that. Um. But I was sent something recently by a friend, Danielle, who's a listener of the show. And um, it was something that was floating around on Facebook. And so I read it here mainly, I'll I'll read some of the highlights here, mainly because it encapsulates a lot of the arguments. A lot of the arguments that you get against the tithe. Of course, like with the new Hillsong documentary that's coming out and a few other things, people will always go on the train of, well, churches aren't taxed and (laughs) uh, pastors don't pay taxes. And this is all just a sham. It's basically a money laundering operation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you pay taxes? I pay taxes, federal and state. Weird. You're ordained minister. Yes. Yes. Why would you have to pay federal and state taxes? Because I am subject to the government just like everyone else is in that realm. Uh, The only thing that not paying tax means is that the church itself, the entity itself, does not pay taxes. Like a corporation would. Like a corporation would. Like a, like a what is the, what's the designation? A 501c3? Right. Like that kind of a thing. We are a nonprofit. Right. We are a nonprofit organization. We, we, we receive donations. We, we're not, no, there are no shareholders other than if you consider the congregation themselves having a stake in what's going on. But there's tons of nonprofits out there. Churches are not we're not the unique. only ones for no, sure. No, like and I it, think isn't Black Lives Matter a nonprofit? Yes, yes, it is or was. I I don't know. They've had some legal troubles lately. I mean, yeah. So so is Hillsong. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not pointing fingers. Not I'm at just, all. Not uh, at all. I'm just saying, like there. I'm just are, saying I don't know what the status is like there anymore. Any, if any charity. Uh, trying to think now. No, some of those are public, like museums and things like that. There's like publicly right. public entities that you can donate right. to, but yeah, there's plenty of charities like the United Way is a nonprofit. Right. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, and it's and it's aren't and it is tricky because based. part of why people complain about this is because there have been cases uh, where people have misappropriated funds, where yep. they have not kept clean books where they've kept two sets of books, where they've done all kinds of things that are, are shady at best and illegal most of the time. When the, pro- the thing that people forget about is when these things hit and all the dirt comes out, these people usually end up bankrupt or arrested because there are legal proceedings that then are taken against them. Um, it, it, it is a very gross misunderstanding uh, of what the tax system actually is for, for clergy, um, and it's based on the most extreme cases of abusing that uh, that goodwill that's been put into uh, tax-exempt status for, for charitable organizations, including churches. And actually, most pastors that I've known not only pay taxes, 
but they themselves give a tithe. Yeah. Yes. So on a on a pastor's salary, like their taxes are coming out and they're paying the tithe back into the church. Right. And That's, giving in other ways as well. Oh, yeah. And often going above and beyond. And right. we'll get into that because yes. it is all about generosity. But uh, some of the things on the list here, should, should you tithe as a new covenant believer? Sure, as long as you have a functional temple that's still part of your covenant with God, have a functional Levitical priesthood who are the only legitimate recipient of a tithe, live on the original promised land territory as the fruit of, any, as the, fruit of the land or the fruit of the flock raised on any other land isn't a legitimate tithe, grow your own produce and raise your own cattle, Anyway, they just keep going on and on. Other points of interest regarding the tithe. There were three tithes in the law of Moses, not one. Two were due every year. One was due once every three years. On an annualized basis, excluding the seventh year of the agricultural cycle, your yearly tithe averaged out to 23.3% of all your produce and your flock, not 10% as commonly assumed. I don't know where they get this. We just read through a lot, right. like the entire Bible. And right. I, I see how you could get there if you're combining a n- number of things. Right. But and circumstances that were one-offs. Right. Like there are times when somebody would call for, you're going to bring a tenth for this particular offering. This is what right. we're going to do. And if you raise crops, it was one thing. If you raise livestock, it was another thing. Right. If you like... It was an inclusive... Expectation. Some sort of business. It it was just off the increase, mainly. One of the tithes, festival tithe, consisted of you taking a tenth of your flock and produce, going to Jerusalem three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles feast, and eating that with your family. I I think they're misunderstanding a tithe there. You couldn't tithe the money even if you wanted to. If you sold your festival tithe for money and then carried the money to one of the three religious festivals, you still had to buy the same thing you sold and with a 20% surcharge. Again, All I, of this is tithing 101 based on the Mosaic Law regulations. As you can see, it's not possible to observe the tithe for anyone today unless you cloak the clear biblical prescriptions in some creative rhetoric, which is more or less how the tithing scheme operates today in Christian churches. Which is why no Jewish synagogue that I've ever heard of, which is pretty limited, and (laughs) I I would assume you haven't been in all of them, practices tithing for mere reason of taking their Hebrew scriptures seriously, meaning at their face value, they have various other fundraising schemes, such as paying for your seat, for your head, and so on, but not tithing. In Christian Europe, tithing became mandatory only in 585 AD at the Council of Marcon. Uh, which means for about half a millennia, it wasn't prescribed practice, and it wasn't practiced at all in the first 400 years of the church. I don't buy that one bit. Right. I don't buy that one bit. In North America, tithing has only been practiced starting in 1895 with the Baptists taking the lead that year. From that time of America's first settled colonies until then, almost 300 years, no religious organization on the North American continent practice tithing in any form. Okay, and once again, what what they're not allowing for here is the reality that economics were completely different then. Right. You would have actually fallen more closely under the original auspices of the Old Covenant because what you were providing for your parson was livestock and you were providing a parsonage for that person. And there yeah. was, like, there was, th- that was a whole different thing. So saying that that was 
like the economy changed quite a bit right around 1895. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. every way. Conveniently. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was pretty much uh, done, except they wrapped up some things there at the end, just basically going after the tithe. But one of my responses to this right off the bat is one of the things that people do is they look back at the Old Testament and they say that tithe is part of the Old Testament law. Right. It is not. Right. The tithe predates yes. the Old Testament, or the Old Testament law yeah. by quite a bit. Yeah. Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Yeah. Who was a type uh, a type of Jesus. Yeah. It was it was foreshadowing Jesus right. to come. But and and Hebrews even gets into this that through Abraham Abraham, Isaac, Jacob also paid a tithe through Melchizedek. Yeah. Through to Melchizedek through Abraham. Right. So the tithe predates law. In fact, it's codified in parts of the law, but it begins back in Genesis with Cain and Abel right. bringing, bringing an offering. Bringing an offering. And it doesn't necessarily say a tenth there, but they're bringing an offering. Yeah. And um, so you have Abraham, and then you also have, uh, I believe it's, it's Isaac. Um, let me see if I can find that one. But Isaac for sure paid it, or Jacob, one of those two, for sure paid a tithe. And my question was, when he says uh, something, uh, I'll find it. But he, he says something about whatever you give me an increase, I will give a tenth. Yeah. And I'm like, who are they paying a tithe to? Right. Like you're so worried that only the Levitical priests can receive your tithe. No, that's not true. Right. And didn't remain true even after the temple was destroyed. When the temple was destroyed, God was still concerned right. about tithe and offerings. Well, and it's even funny here because one of the things they say at the end here, let me, let me see if I can see it here. Yeah, uh, yeah. here it is. Uh, so yeah, talking about the percentages again. One problem still remains. Jesus, being a non-Levite, he was from the tribe of Judah, not Levi, can't possibly receive your tithes. If he did receive them under the Mosaic law, he would be rightly considered a lawbreaker and a sinner, which would mean that the recipient of your tithe, that as the recipient of your tithe, he would no longer be spotless or sinless and would no longer be able to serve as your sacrificial lamb for your sins. Again, this person has a grind, an axe to grind against Christianity, period. In general. This, this yeah. does not have anything. And this is a, a profound misunderstanding of the Godhead as we believe it to be as well. Yeah. Uh, separating out Christ himself from the Father and the Holy Spirit is not something we do at all. So, so again, right away, I don't care about this person's opinion. No. Because they came in with an axe, axe to grind, first of all which even if they were part of the faith, I would have a problem with. And they're cherry-picking by and they're clearly, isolating And they're clearly the not a part of the faith either. They're just angry that churches ask for money at all. Right. Period. So here's the passage on Melchizedek, Hebrews 7, 1-2. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. Hebrews 7, 1 to 2. Mm -hmm. So that's a New Testament reference to the tithe right. that Abraham paid. That's both ends. This is after the law, yep. referring backwards 
to before, before the, the law. law. Yeah. So don't give me this thing that the tithe is only part of Old Testament law. Right. That, that lie is not biblical. Right. It is a lie. That it is, that is or, absolutely or at, at, at best a misunderstanding. Right. It is absolutely a, a lie that people trot out there and, and that you think sounds good at the very first right. hearing of it. All right. So Matthew 23, 23 is the verse that so many people miss because they say Jesus didn't talk about the tithe. Jesus didn't pay a tithe. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, most of the time we're following Jesus. He also doesn't have an income. Right. Right. Where's his increase? Yeah. Like he's being supported by people and right. sometimes fairly rich people that are donating right. whatever he needs, like for his needs. So uh, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus speaking, it's all red letters. It says, woe to you, scribes, uh, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Yeah. Without ne and one of the translations says without neglect, you should have done the latter things without neglecting the, the former, former things. things. Yeah. What is the former things? Tithing even the littlest bit of the increase from your gardens. Yeah. This, the way Jesus is talking about it is not that justice, mercy, and faithfulness need to be secondary to the tithe. He's yeah. actually saying the tithe is foundational. Yeah. That's, that's just the basic part of interacting in, in the kingdom of heaven. Like, right. This is part of submitting to the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is something that you should do. Right. And then the weightier matters are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Be sure you do those things without neglecting the former things. Right. This is Jesus not doing away with the law. Right. But showing you what is the intent the most the important. intent of the law right yeah and the important thing about the tithe is that it leads you to generosity it right. is it is the basic level of generosity and in fact i was talking to somebody this week who has definitely has the gift of generosity yeah and they were saying one of the things that bothers them about the tithe is like it it goes to keep the lights on and to, you know, pay the pastors and keep everything rolling. And it, it is the foundational thing that supports the church, but it, it doesn't quite give the same joy as when you give your gifts, those free will yeah. offerings above and beyond right. where you can really target those gifts above and beyond. And right. it's like, yeah, this basic thing I do, but it just doesn't feel as generous as being able to really impact someone straight on. Like right. when I give a hundred dollars or I give $50 to this thing or that thing, yeah. or even larger gift in a particular direction to see that impact Yeah, that to a generous person operating within their gift, that feels more rewarding. Right. Like the tithe is just part of being there. Yeah. And, and the other lie is that a tithe can be whatever percentage you want. Like it can be two percent, it can be three percent, right. it can be. It's implicit in the name. Yeah, it means tenth. <laughs> it means a tenth. If you ha if you sectioned off a tenth of something, you have a tithe. Right. That's what and, it is. And let me let me clarify something here right off the bat because I can feel I can already feel some of you bristling at this. Based on my understanding of scripture, my reading of scripture, 
not tithing is not an issue of sin. No. But it is an issue of lordship. Right. It is an issue of acknowledging the lordship of God over your increase. Yeah. Over your income, over over those things. So I just want to get that out of the way so right off the bat. To me, and I'll just go not not on what I know, but more on my feelings on yeah, all this. Absolutely. For me, it has always been an acknowledgement that I have nothing. Yep. I'm not promised anything. I'm not even promised my very next breath. Yes. I'm not promised that anything I design will actually work. Yes. Anything I work hard for will actually be fruitful. It doesn't matter. It can all come to nothing. And you can point at example after example where that has happened. We are, I am not owed anything by this life yep. or by my creator. Yep. So anything he gives me, I'm grateful for. And that needs to be the position of my heart. So anything, and this is just me speaking off the cuff. I'm not judging you if you're not at this place. Yeah. But me personally, it is an acknowledgement of where anything I got came from. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. It's like, I didn't, I, yeah, I worked for this. I exchanged my time for money. But you know what? Who gave me the ability to get up in the morning and get there? Right. Who, who actually, I pray every night, like almost every night, that God would prosper the work of our hands, me and Jess. Whatever we put our hands to, that he would allow it to prosper and grow. I can't make that happen. Right. I could work and toil my whole life and it could come to nothing. Like that happens. You can go bankrupt tomorrow. Yep. And do you look back on COVID and a bunch of other things? A lot of people went bankrupt and didn't know it was coming. Yep. And and I'm not saying they didn't pay the tithe no, or anything like that no, for no. sure. It doesn't promise you wealth. It's just an immediate acknowledgement of this is increase and I know where it came from. Yeah. And my tithe back is just saying I know where it came from. It's an acknowledgement, but is also a personal joy. Yeah. I I have paid way more into the church than I will ever get. And I've paid a tithe into churches that I don't even attend anymore. Mm. I've paid a tithe to a church that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And who's on the hook for how that money was spent? Right. Do I run around complaining that they didn't spend my money right? No, not at all. I've never once given a tithe and thought, boy, I hope they do such and such a thing with this. No. Yeah. I'm called to give it. And let it go. And let it go. I'm, and, and honestly, the way I think about it in my head, at Judgment Day, I'm not going to stand there and answer for what was done with my tithe. No. I gave it in good faith, and there it went. And if somebody misspent it, they, they get to answer yeah. for that. Yep. And it is a weighty responsibility for the people of the church who receive yep. tithes and offerings, what you do with that. That's a weighty thing. And it's not lightly considered in most cases. Or shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. That's why it's so despicable when people do. But yeah, largely, I would say if somebody took my tithe and went and just bought something extravagant for themselves, honestly, don't care. Yeah. I... I, I mean, would I keep attending if, <laughs> if that happened repeatedly? Are, yeah, and I saw things that, there that was, would happen. Yeah, that, that people were abusing finances. No, right. I mean, you gotta you gotta be conscientious, but mm -hmm. it's also not a thing where I'm like, 
oh yeah, they they have to do this and this because yeah. I, I tithe them. now. You owe me. Yeah, you owe me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all that all that I think is owed in that case is accountability. Yeah, and that's it. And for me, and this is not everyone. And I found that out when I got married. Like I was always tithing off of the gross, not the net. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't care what the government took out. I do care what the government yes, took out. I actually have a mild bit of resentment <laughs> about each and every tax that I pay. Because yeah. according to my hero, Ron Paul, taxation is theft. Yes, but, it is. Um, <laughs> that aside. Let me rephrase that. Taxation, the way we do it, is theft. <laughs> so what, what I would say on top of that, I think the government could do with 10% as well. Yes. And I wouldn't resent them for anything. No. You know, uh, 10% or less. So... I'm I'm willing to give 10% to God and 10% to the government, and I'll vote no on all taxes until we get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> but that aside, like, where was I going with that? There was something about, oh, yeah, tithing on the net instead of the gross. And that's because, for me, and it's, a, it's an acknowledgement. Yeah. And, and it's a joy to be able to do that and say, you know what, this was my increase, and then the government takes whatever they take out of it, and I'm, I'm here doing with what I got. Yeah. You know? And that's fine. And the Lord has been faithful. We, we did not have a ton of money when we got married. Yeah. And by that, I mean, sometimes there was baby formula and we're like, where is this money going to come from? We yep. need baby formula. We know that's got to happen. But where is the room in the budget for this to happen? Right. I know what that's about. Yep. And tied the whole way. Like, yeah. And for me, my experience has been God has even in some very humble and tight circumstances, I have always had what I needed. Yeah. Now, I didn't have all my wants. I didn't have even what some people would say are maybe needs for some people needs from weren't their perspective. there yeah. in my life. Yeah. But I, everything I needed, God has provided. Right. He's provided enough. He's more than enough. Right. And even if it wasn't material provision, I'm not all into like, you pay this and you get that out. Right. But sometimes God gives you that increase that I'm talking about or like prospers the work of your hands in a way that you don't expect, mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. And sometimes he'll lower your expenses. Um, I've seen that, you know, even my, my parents talk about that going to, going on the mission field. It would, sometimes you'd go on the mission field and it's like we had enough money up front that we that was donated and it got us through the whole summer and it was great. Like yeah. we made it through and other times there wasn't hardly any money there, but then you know what? Uh, you caught a bunch of fish that you didn't expect right. or something. All of a sudden there was meat on the table mm -hmm. and you ate whatever you, whatever we could afford, <laughs> but it was enough to get through. Right. You know? And so sometimes the expenses get lowered and sometimes the, the funds are there. Right. So I, I don't know how to explain that other than to just well, share my experience. Well, and I can, I can give that too. Like I, I've never seen where I'm going to say this and then I'll qualify it. I've never seen where tithing does not work. Right. I have never seen properly done, properly perspectived tithing not I mean, work. And I've, what I mean is, I've heard people tithe for a month and it didn't. Yeah, yeah. Or or they or they tithe, but then they made 
really unwise financial decisions and then blame God for the fact that they tithed and their unwise financial decision caused them heartache. Like, I've seen those things, but that's a whole other thing. But I've never seen people who have come in and made a decision, I'm going to start giving this. I'm going to start surrendering this right. aspect of my life and this aspect of control to God that have not been the better for it. And just the evidence alone that I've seen ha- would say to me that there is, a, there is a principle here that needs to be followed. Yeah. And I will go, I will step away even from the spiritual and I will go straight to practical with this if you want me to go straight to practical. And that is that part of what the discipline of tithing does, and, and I love, I, I heard a comedian, Michael Jr., once say, I don't count tithing as giving because tithing is just not stealing. Because my conviction is that this already is something that God has asked that, that belongs to him, and me withholding that is stealing from him. Now, you may or may not agree with that. My own personal conviction on that, that is absolutely what I believe. For me, for me to withhold the tithe would be, would, has, has gotten to the point now where it would become rebellion for me. It would become oh, yeah. sin for me. I'm not saying it's that way for everybody, but me, yes, it is. And so um, my thing is that... <clears throat> Sorry, I just got distracted. Now I'm having trouble tracking. Again, my brain is doing the thing that yours just did. Um, where was I going? I was talking about Michael Jr., talking about tithing. Yeah, not robbing God. Oh, yeah. To me, the practical aspect is this, is that if you are single and you are just your money's just going places and you don't know where and you decide you're going to start tithing, all of a sudden you have to start paying attention to your finances. Yeah. You have to look and say, okay, if now 10% of my income every month or every week or however you're doing it is gone, okay, so how does that make my, the rest of my life work? What other bills? How am I taking care of this? How am I saving? How am I doing? You, ha- you suddenly have to start to look at your finances and say, okay, I've already decided this. Now because I've decided that, I actually have to see what I can do with what I've got. Right. And so you actually start controlling your money instead of your money just spending itself. If you are married, it forces you and your spouse to have to talk about finances and right. financial decisions. Because, again, 10% is no small thing. I'll, no matter what your income level is, if you make a ton of money, that's a really big check you're writing. And so right. you're going to want to talk about it. If you make nothing, that's, that's something you're going to so. have to give up. And so you're going to have to talk about it. It, it forces practical... Um, proper stewardship of your finances because you have to suddenly pay attention. You don't just get to take for granted. You don't just get to make assumptions. Suddenly you're, you're in, you're voluntarily taking something out permanently out of your income and it will affect you and have you started to do it. So just from the practical aspects of that, you get tremendous benefit aside from the spiritual blessings that come as a result of, of this discipline. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I mean, over and over again. Here, here's the other thing. It is, so for people that find it problematic, Yeah. Uh, most of the time in our culture today, you're getting your increase through a paycheck and, mm-hmm. and you're not, you don't have herds, you don't have flocks and some of this stuff is hard to translate. And you're saying, right. like, how does that translate to me? And the people that get up in arms and say the early church didn't operate this way. No, uh, actually the scene in Jerusalem was very chaotic when you had just all of a sudden 3,000, 6,000 people coming in to the church and 
this is a new movement. Yeah. And they just started going to the temple every day. Yeah. They met in the temple every day. And people that didn't have anything were were still there. Right. Because they were caught up in what was going on. And this was the one thing. But needs still had to be met. Right. And so some of the rich people that were a part of it or people that had means would sell off their land. Right. And take the proceeds and take care of the ones that didn't have anything. Right. And people look at some of those instances and in like in Acts two and say, Yeah, right. well, okay, this is this is Christian socialism. There's been whole communes built on misunderstanding how this works and not even reading further in Acts where Paul on his missionary journey is collecting funds to what? To go support the church in Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. that can't support itself. Like this, this system itself was not sustainable. Right. Like he's going around to other churches right. collecting And systems are not back. unspiritual. Right. Systems are not unspiritual. <laughs> so my question is to people that are saying like, oh, uh, you know, I'm too sophisticated for the tithe. Okay, you're smart. Tell me what funding mechanism should be yeah. for the church. And some of those people have said to me, well, the church shouldn't meet in a building. We don't need a big old building like this to be able to do church. Yeah. I don't need to gather with other Christians to do church. Well, yes, you do need yes. to gather with other You are other not Christians. the church unless you are gathering. Right. Period. Yeah. That is definitive. In Absolutely. The, it's in the book. It is in the book. Yeah. The church is a body. Yes. <laughs> of believers together. Yeah. So anyway, that aside, it's like, okay, so we're going to gather. Where? Yeah. Where do you gather? Where do you propose we gather? In, in houses? Okay, good. Because this is Ohio. And in Ohio, in February, we have a problem. If or we're all right going to gather, yeah, or even right now, going outside in the cold. We are not in a Mediterranean climate. We cannot just go meet by the river, or and, and we can't all just flood the synagogues like they were. They were meeting in synagogues, yeah. and Paul would go preach in the synagogues, and like then churches would form around the synagogue, and then they, there was tension between the Jews and the Christians in different of these uh, Gentile cities as he would go. Like, that's a lot of where that resistance came from. It's yeah. like, where is everybody meeting? What is happening in these places logistically? And how does it work? Yeah. So maybe the 1,200 people or whoever gathers at our church, if you want us to just sell our property, oh, no, we shouldn't have a building. All right, we're coming to your house today. <laughs> you ready? Your turn. Yeah, where are we that's supposed funny. to gather? It's well, like, what, what do you propose for funding it, but yet... Some of these people that are very sophisticated and wouldn't want to pay the tithe, right. it's like, but you still want a pastor to marry you and right. bury you and right. come visit you in the hospital. Right. And, and you and keep saying sophisticated. Not, I don't think you. I don't think it means what you think it means. No, no. I know I, you're saying it no, tongue in cheek. I, I know I, that. It's all tongue in cheek. It's yeah. like they're the, and and I, it's because I've run into it a number of different yeah. ways. Well, and, but they're just like. There's, they're reading nuance and right. things. Well, and, and go like back, and going back to no, it's it's not nuance that they're reading it. It's lack of understanding of the culture. Yeah. And and so go back to what you were saying about the early church, about the up until Stephen, up until the martyrdom of Stephen, the church was in Jerusalem. Yeah. That was it. It was a Jewish sect. Yeah. They were all still Jews. They all still practiced Judaism with Christ as now the, the completion of the covenant right? and a continuance of a new covenant. They were still Jews. That's why they went to the temple. 
because that's what they'd always done. Yeah. And they were still Jews. So they went to the temple. They still paid all the tithes. They still observed all the festivals. And there was a temple they still tax did all on the top things. of that. And so they did all of those things still. And on top of that, they're selling things. They're selling their property. They're selling their wealth in order to generate something that could be commonly shared among them. Right. And it wasn't to equalize everybody. It was just making sure everybody was taken care of. Yeah. So you're, you're omitting the reality that for this first section of the church and all throughout, as long as Peter was the head of the church, if you even can rightly call him that, he was still Jewish. He yep. still observed all of these things until the day he died. That never changed. And it never changed for the bulk of the church in the initial. And so you're completely ignoring that context and just trying to pretend like, oh, yeah, the church sprung up and now they separated themselves entirely. No, it took martyrdom for them to scatter from Jerusalem. Yeah. And in many places being driven out of the synagogues. I mean, you see yeah. the uproar in Ephesus and a few other places yep. throughout the book of Acts. You see that stuff. Yeah. So you're completely ignoring the cultural context. And and to be clear, I'm not trying to swing at anybody when I'm talking no. about this. But I but I will admit I actually like, don't have anyone's face in mind. No, nor do I. Nor do I. But I have found that every conversation I've ever had related to this, whether it's someone in the church, outside the church, fringe church deconstructing, angry with the church, whatever it may be, the ultimate reason that they have a problem with tithing is twofold, and usually they go hand in hand. One is, I don't want to. They start with, I don't want to do this, and then make their case. And two, I want to control it. Yeah, you know, I I've, do pay I've, it. I've, I can remember, and again, this is not any one person, because I've had multiple conversations where people have told me, well, I just want to be able to give when my heart feels it. When I have the moment, well, I'm like, yeah, because you want to control when you give, who you give to, and where it goes. And so, like, actually, oh, yeah, I like this wanna, organization. If, I'm going to give this right now. If, and that's fine. That's if you want to give. The, part of generosity. If you want to give, and when your heart is happy to give, feel free to. Yeah. There's that's nothing, not a tithe. No. That, that's totally separate discussion. Right. Like, that's... Right. That, and when this, you bring and this that discipline, up, that's not a tithe. Well, and this discipline gets, gets wiggly with... It's like... Well, I'm just going to pray when I feel like it. I'm just going to read the Bible when I feel like it. I'm just going to live out my faith when I feel like, like But this one's different because it's money. And I will even contest that this is a distinctly Western problem with this, this thing. You don't see this in third world countries. You don't see this in impoverished nations. They do this always. Yeah. They don't the church doesn't have to go hat in hand to beg for money from their congregations. This is what they do. This is how they survive. And they do it together. And where did, why did Jesus talk so much about money? Yeah. Because it's an indicator of where your heart, heart is. is. Absolutely. And it will always be. And, and that is why in even in the temple system there were allowances for every economic state you could possibly imagine. Right. Because the heart was the issue. Always. And, yeah. and that is what this ultimately comes down to, I feel like, is, is no matter what. If you, are, if you are pushing back against this, you need to, you need to do some introspection and, and ask yourself, why do I have a problem with it? Not what are, what are the reasons I can make? What are the arguments I can make? Not that. That's not the question you need to ask. Because there's plenty out there. Some, again, like this, which is kind of vitriolic and gross and has nothing to do with the faith and everything to do with somebody wanting to take a swing at it. 
but then some that like legitimately like people have hurts attached to it. They've they've right. they've been they've been a part of ministries that have abused this and that have abused their trust and all that. I get that. But you need to look at your own heart and say, like, why do I have a problem with this? Why do I not want to do this? Because it will be, it will, it will show, it will show some stuff for you. I mean, and then what you do with that is is up to you. For me, it was modeled pretty well my whole life. Yeah, same and for so me. like, I never thought a whole lot about it. Mm-mm. But I think if if I withheld a tithe for some reason, I'd be looking over my shoulder. Like, <laughs> it, it'd be a weird thing. Like. I, I honestly, and this is probably just my naivety. Like I, I would say that I would, I would think that's probably coming out of my income regardless. Mm. Like there's probably something and that might just be superstition to say, you know, if I don't pay it to God, I'm sure there's plenty of other ways that money disappears from my life Yeah, and I'm probably not great at tracking it (laughs) and I'll probably lose at least 10% somewhere. (laughs) I mean, I, honestly, that yeah, no, I see that. And and if I'm if I'm saying, oh, I need this, I need a hundred percent of it. Yeah, I need a hundred percent of it for what? Like I have more than I need, so right. I don't, I don't, I don't quote unquote need it, right? Because I didn't need it when I was making half of what I do now. You right. know, it's like, yeah. And it's and and to be clear, like I'm not trying to guilt anybody into doing this or whatever. I mean, that's not the point. No. But I'm telling you like this is a like there is a freedom that comes from doing this. This is a a benefit to you, to me, to us. Like this is a blessing that God has given us. And and I'm not saying it won't be hard at times. I yeah. I talked this out with Jess and she was she was saying like each week when she does that, that's that's always a little tough for her to, you know, yeah, send it off and there it goes. Me, I'm more like big picture guy. So that statement at the end of the year that shows that you get from the church that you can use for your taxes and says, oh, I gave this much to a nonprofit organization, right. you know, um, which I take the standard deduction anyway, so yeah. I don't end up getting the benefit from it. Right, I right. Mean, yeah, standard deductions gotten bigger and bigger, so <laughs> it en- ends up not mattering. But it, w- and you know, if you're a good tax guy, I have a good one, and <laughs> it still yeah. doesn't doesn't make any difference. And all that aside, looking at that big number at the end of the year, it looks big to me. Yeah, based on what I make, of course, it's ten percent. Right, and I'm just like, I'm, well, it's more than that because yeah, reasons. Yeah, but. And one of those things is like, for me, that is a joy. I've never regretted yeah. a single dime that I've seen on that statement and said, man, I wish I had that. Yeah. Like, I don't even, you know, we, we want last year or two, we had to put a roof on our house. Yeah. And I don't even look at that money and be like, oh, that could have been a roof. Yeah. No. Or that could have been a, uh, you know, a reasonable used car or something. Right. You know, I don't. I don't look at it that way. Well, and plus, it never would have gone to that. No, it never would have. It, like it you said, got, it would have just disappeared. It got piddled away yeah. on something yeah. else. And and that's the thing for me. Like I, as soon as automatic deposit was an option, yeah. I did it. Right. And that's how I give my tithe. That's how we give our tithe. And for me, that's because it's not because I don't want to think about it. It's because that's not mine. Like I don't even want it to sit in my bank account. I don't have like it's not mine. It's gone. Yeah. Like. The minute it's there, it's gone. It's not mine. And then the joy of giving on top of that is that this is foundational. Yeah. 
This is what I build my life on. And so these other things, as they come, I do get to decide. Yep. I get to decide, oh, I get to support this thing or yep. I get to support this person or a passion project or like... It doesn't prevent that. Say all of a sudden the church is building something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. I'll, I'll support like a building fund or something above and beyond. Right. Because I know that the tithe is just between me and God. The rest of this is, you know, I get to exercise generosity and, yep. and like... I know there's a misnomer also in, in, in within the church of like, uh, you know, people that are very worried about their tithe, like this is a big issue for them, often then become very non-generous in other areas. Like, yeah. well, you know, I give my tithe, so, you know, and it's like, you're so worried about this. Right. If you would just let it go, right. give it freely and just take that weight off and don't, don't suffer under it. Don't bear this as a burden or a cross. Yeah. It's not a cross. It's, well, it'll, it'll do your heart so much right. good. Well, uh, and then find the joy in being able to do something else. Even if it's like 20 bucks on top of that. Right. Or, you know, buying someone's lunch or that kind of thing. Like you can, you can do these things on top. Right. And it brings great joy knowing that I'm not taking God's money and aiming it in different directions. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing that with his money. His money is his money. Right. And this is this is this part is mine. This was the increase he gave to me. Right. I get to aim it where it goes. Like I'm not telling God where to spend his money. Right. I'm I'm going to go ahead and be generous in these other areas. Right. And I get to do that. That's a great privilege. Absolutely. And someday when a house is paid off and everything else is paid off, I hope to do a lot more. Right. You know? Right. I I I don't know. It's it's probably maybe uh, people would call it brainwashing or something else, but I, I don't think it is. Like, because I know you can't point a single detriment that I've ever had in my life from returning the tithe. No, I ever. I honestly don't regret any of it. Yeah, now, and, and again, it was, not even regret. Like, it has never it has never hurt me. No. Now, when I was it's a hard kid, sometimes. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. <laughs> but I, it's never harmed me. I was just going to tell you, like, I was mowing, like, doing some work over the summer, and I was not making nearly enough. Yeah. And it was one of those things. I worked really hard for 10, 20 bucks, and given that dollar or $2 out of that 10 or 20 bucks that I worked super oh, yeah. hard for for a long time, that hurt probably yeah. more than anything else. But... It was one of those things that I'm like, you know, I, I am thankful that I got paid. I'm thankful that there was, there was increase, yeah. you know? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just, again, I just, I just challenge you, man. If you, if you, I'm not even going to challenge you to, oh, test God, try God, and see if, if this blessing doesn't. Like, see if it comes back to I'm you. I'm not even going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you, search your own heart and find out why you have a problem with this. Because I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'd bet you money that you're going to have to come back and admit like, okay, this is, this reason's a problem. Yeah. And again, it may be things that have legitimately like ways you've been harmed or ways you've been abused by the church or whatever, but you're still going to have to look at that and say, wow, I haven't dealt with this issue. Yeah. And those things are valid. Those yeah. valid reasons. I, I also don't want to swing at anybody. Either. No. Like, yeah. But I am telling you, you will benefit from this discipline. Yeah. And it will open you up in generosity in other ways. And if it hasn't, you still have a heart issue. And I can, I, you know, 
this is a cliche thing that pastors do when they're like talking about the tithe and they get off into other areas. Yeah. But not only have I always had what I've needed, there have been times where me and Jess have sat down and we've like basically circled something that we're going to pray about yeah. and pray about this thing and say, you know, God, we really need this one thing here. Yeah. And this would mean a lot to us. It's not like we can't survive without it, but we could really use your help in this area. And he has come through. If I made it a matter of prayer and I've looked back, I, I just remember four or five years ago, there was something that we circled and we started praying about, and it, it was something financial. Not only did God take care of it within a calendar year, he took care of it in a way that we didn't expect. He did the same thing every year since. Yeah. It's bananas. Yeah. And if this wasn't a public podcast, I would sit down and tell you more about it. Right. But it's literally bananas. And, and it's not anything I can explain. I can't say it's because I pay the tithe. I won't. I right. won't say it's because of that. That other thing was just something that we made a matter of prayer and right. God came through and was faithful. Like th that kind of stuff. I have way more stories of God's faithfulness than I can point to pain points or anything that where that tithe hurt me, held me back. Yeah. I lost an opportunity. I lost uh, right. Anything that I can point to of being of lasting value, right? <laughs> no, I'm, and if I'm, you and if you think about it, it is it is a good investment. Like when we were, when we were uh, just newly married, and we didn't have very much at all. I was putting a little bit into my retirement account, mm -hmm. and just didn't know enough to look at my statements and know what that <laughs> was. And later, she's been like, "Man, if I would have known back then." what that you were putting this certain percentage into your 401k i would have like come for that because yeah. we were we were tight tight Thin margins and, but i look back now i wouldn't be able to right grab that lump sum out today and try and reinvest it at what it's grown into like that was the seed money that got my retirement started yeah and it's about length of time in the market and all that and i'm like look at what that little bit that I was putting in back then has become and, and how the ways that it's helped. I don't think about it. Like had I put 10% of the tithe in there, what that would be today. Yeah. It would be a lot if I invested it all. Right. It would be, but I've gained far more of eternal significance, yeah. emotional stability, um, spiritual gain. Like just and you have being, invested it all just differently. I have. And, and you look around and I'm like, what the body of Christ means to my wife, to my children, mm -hmm. to every to the people that I interact with, it is worth every penny. Yeah. Like and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why I wouldn't invest in something like yeah. that. Yeah, and, and not only that, it 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 forces you in some way I, no forces is not the word. It gives you the opportunity to be a part of something that's more than yourself. Because the tithe is all about, look what we can do together. Right. And again, just from the communal aspect, again, taking the spiritual out of it, which you should not do. There are, there's a ton of that. But you're, you're talking about those things, so I'm, I'm right. coming from the practical. Like when you as a church, when you realize we as a gathering, as a, as a group of people, through giving something that did not kill us to do. Nope, it won't kill you. We have, we have accomplished this together. 
And it's not something any one of us could have done alone. Right. But together no. we've done it. And whether that's as simple as like keeping the light on or paying the rent for another month or, or paying the mortgage for another month, you know, whatever it may be, um, it's significant. There is a bond that happens between people who are investing in something like that and who are helping to make sure it moves forward. And ultimately, in the end, that's what this all is. It is that gathering, that family of believers to say, we are in this together. And we are going to put our time and our talent and our treasure all into it. And that's what I would challenge any of you that attend a church. Think of it as your church. No matter how long you've been going there, if you were there when it was built, or if the carpet is older than you, or whatever, like you just <laughs> walked been a part in, of both of those churches. You just walked in there yesterday and you paid your first tithe. This is your church. Yeah, like your you, feet are under the table now. Yep. You returned your. I shouldn't say paid. I said paid a lot in this. Yeah. I meant to say returned. Yeah, and I meant to comment on that too. Yeah. Not you saying it, but just no, in general. no. You should call me out on that because I mean <laughs> not to. And yeah. I, I really. Like that, I was saying it more because people talk about it that way, but right. it is returning to God his tithe. Right. He does own it. Right. It, and, and the way I think about it, the way I think if you take a plain reading of scripture, God owns that portion. It is holy. It, yeah. it is holy to him. And when you read through the Old Testament, a lot of it is about what is common and what is holy. And yeah. one of the things that is holy that is separated is that tenth or the firstborn, or the firstfruits, and all of those things. They, they are holy to the Lord. And so it's, it's something that you get to participate in yeah. in a way that very, very few other things kind of are on, on that, that part. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But that returning to God something that's His is a good way to think about it. And it's not like I'm paying someone, I'm returning it to God because he gave to me. Yeah. I, you give tithe, you give offerings, you return God's tithe. Yeah. Well, and I, I think about that too with, with the whole issue of, you know, coming back to the, the issue of the heart. That's really what this ultimately comes down to is where is your heart in all of these things? And one of the things I think about is I think back to the rich young ruler and, and him coming to Jesus and saying, how do I, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? How do, I, how do I achieve this perfection that you speak of? How do I become a part of the kingdom? And this is not a ruler in the sense of like he was some kind of, you know, like he was a ruler in the sense that he was, a, he was clearly a devout religious man. He was devoutly Jewish, which means he was already doing all of these things. And Jesus, because he could see, like, your heart is not actually in this, looked at him and said, essentially, your wealth has your heart. You need to get rid of all of it. And people always want to point to that and say, well, that's how all Christians are supposed to be. No. He looked at this man and the condition of his heart and said, essentially, even though you have already, and even said, I've done all these things for my youth, so I'm good. He's like, okay, one more thing. Yep. Because your heart's still not right. Do this thing, too. But why did Jesus ask that of him? Because he loved him yes. deeply. Yes. And the, the it's one of the few times you get a window into Jesus's emotions. Like right. he deeply loved this guy. And he and literally asked him, will you trust me yes. with your heart? Yeah. It, it's, and he walked it, away. And he walked away sad. Yeah. He walked away sad knowing that he couldn't part with his great wealth. Right. And it was the thing that was keeping him. Right. And the, from, and the fact that he walked away sad tells me that he knew that Jesus was right. 
and he knew that he wasn't going to do it. And his wealth wasn't bringing him the joy no. that Jesus would have, that following Jesus and would have given him. And he came to him seeking fulfillment because he's like, I've done all this stuff and I don't have it. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't got it. Like, right. what am I missing? There's and then, and then it, it turned from, from omission or, or, you know, we just talked about this. We had Jeremiah Bullock for our uh, men's retreat and he was talking about the two definitions of sin and one being in error, which is you don't know but then you find out, and then when you find out, it goes from being an error to you either do what, what Christ has asked you to do, what the Holy Spirit has asked you to do, or then it becomes rebellion, right. which is saying, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Right. And that was what he did. Like He came knowing like something is wrong, and Jesus said, here's the error in your life, and he said, no, nope. Yeah. And it made him sad, but not, not enough to do it, and not it, enough to make a change. And it wasn't... Up to that point, you could say it wasn't sin. Right. The wealth itself wasn't sin. Nope. And, and it is about the position of the heart. It's not about your money. Right. It has never been about your money. Never. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't care about it. He, he doesn't, doesn't need, need it. it. He doesn't need it. But you and need to give what, it. That's what, makes <laughs> it. that's what makes it holy. Yeah. He doesn't need it. He also doesn't need to increase you. He doesn't owe you anything. Yep. He doesn't owe me anything. Yep. That's what I said at the very top of all this. He doesn't owe me anything. And so when he gives me something, like that's just the honor of where he is and, and position in position to me and describing where my heart is, yeah. returning it to him. But that, that was not sin until Jesus put his finger on it and said, Will you trust me with one this? Yeah. thing you lack. And... He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do yeah. it. Yeah. He could have done it. He could have done it. Yeah. And if you think about it, like Zacchaeus was the other side of that. Yeah. Jesus put his finger on something, and Zacchaeus was the one that said, I will repay everybody three times what I took from right. him. Jesus didn't say, go out and repay. Jesus didn't say a word about money to him. No. He's like, I'm going to hang out with you. Yeah. And being around Jesus is like, well, yep. I, I already see it. I see it all. Yep. Like Jesus didn't call. He's like, I see it. I know what I did. I, I'm getting, I'm doing this. I'm fixing yep. this. Anybody I stole from, I'm going to repay him like three times or yeah. seven times. I forget what all it was. But he's the one who came up for himself what the, what the standard was for showing the position, the new position. The transformation. Yeah. 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 And that's huge. That's yeah. huge. But yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, to summarize all this, I mean, I'm just going to say again, you know, Take your heart before God on this issue and, and don't, don't try to find arguments for why it's okay for you to or not to because this is not, this is not a logic issue. It's not. This is an issue of what are you asking of me and where is my heart in this? Yeah. And he'll be faithful in that. He'll reveal that. And what you do with that is up to you. That's, that's my challenge in all of this, is, is take your heart before God, lay it out, and ask him why. Yeah, that's a great challenge. Yeah, I, I thought it's interesting while we're talking about Jesus and money. The one time Jesus is reluctant to pay something is the temple tax. Yeah. It's really funny <laughs> because they're like, oh, you owe this temple tax. And he's like, well, and he, he asks him this weird question. I forget how he phrases it, but is basically are the sons of... Caesar, or not Caesar, but are, are sons 
taxed or is it the servants or the yeah the common people that are taxed and they're like well it's you know it's the commoners and he's basically like my dad owns a place yeah. i don't have to pay taxes yeah. to this place but if you want to i'll go get it out of this fish right and he goes and gets it out of the fish and there was enough to pay for him and for peter and yeah. he's like here take that take that so literally that. nature paid <laughs> he got it he, he he didn't owe anything to the temple it was yeah. his and that's the other funny thing when you see jesus tossing the temple tables he does it. He goes in, flips over all those temple tables, goes out and sleeps in the Mount of Olives, walks back into the city the next day. When they find him, he's wandering around the temple and the Pharisees start asking him, by what authority does he do these things? The, I, I just get this image in my head. Why is he wandering around in the temple again? <laughs> he's checking to see if anybody came back. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this again? <laughs> round yeah. two. Here and, we go. And, and the reason they're asking him about his authority is basically he's walking around like he owns the place. Right. And he's there telling people, you can't do business here. This is my father's house. And like they run the place and he's basically acting like they work for him. Right. And he's like, this is my father's house. He says it out loud. Yep. And, and it's just baffling everyone that this young, he's 30 some years old, Jewish rabbi is coming in here just pretending like he owns right. the place. I, I just... I love it. I love how it was perceived. I say pretending because that's how they saw it. Yeah, that's it. how they saw it. He, he did own the place. Yeah. And, and he, was, he was correct. Everybody else was wrong. But boy, that had to be quite the juxtaposition oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for everybody involved. Yeah. And the man was never gentle. <laughs> he was, he was gentle. gentle in dealing with sin. And, and in dealing with tender, like, right. Repentant tender situations. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't. He had no time for the, uh, the trappings of the religious elite or the religious right who were the religious wrong, as my father likes to say. And people who thought they had authority mm -hmm. when, in fact, they didn't recognize where the authority yeah. that they had came from. Yeah, who claimed their authority right. and wore it like a badge. And that's, that's one of the things that you see, too, when they're following Jesus around is that he taught as one with authority. Yeah. Like he, he seemed yeah. to know... Yeah, know someone or like right. he was like he had some kind of inside. He was saying this like it was yeah, he was someone with authority. But yeah, and ultimately, I mean, too, when it comes down to it, if you're a believer, you don't own any of it anyway, right? So making the argument why you get to keep what's yours is already missing the point. Yeah, and two, this is not all there is. No, nope. and if we really believe that what we believe is really real we're going to live like this is not all there is. Yeah. And that touches so many areas beyond just this small, ridiculous issue. But we don't own it all. We don't own any of it. Nope. And this is not all there is. No, that's, that's exactly right. But I like that. Well, there well we go. Said. All right. That's it. There you go. I think my heart is clear. Yes, I think mine <laughs> is too. But, uh, Again, as always, we love you guys. We love having these conversations. We're really due for a, a live. We yeah. probably need to pull one out soon. We'll have to give you guys a heads up when yeah. we're planning to do it. We and actually will. get on our social media accounts and yeah. let you know. Yeah. But yeah. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. I'd love to hear from you guys. If you have any comments, you know the way. If you're listening to us for a while, you know how to get to us. Uh, but uh, thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining the conversation today. 
The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.